this morning, we're going to be talking about breaking down walls. We're in the middle of a, a sermon series that we're called uh, Getting Out There. And we're preaching from the Gospel of John. And from the book of John, we're looking at, at details of how Jesus shared the gospel with other people. And that's kind of the mission that God has given to us, that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are also called to go out there, to get out there to, to share the good news of Jesus. And when we do this, we'll often encounter things that, that will kind of prevent us or restrict us from doing that. There will be walls, there will be barriers that people put up to separate us from those who we need to reach. Also, we have our own walls that we create that prevents us from wanting to go out there to risk, to be bold, to share the gospel. And also, those that we're trying to reach will also put up walls and barriers to not receive the message that we have for them. But that's a critical mission that God has given to us. It's one that's very serious because essentially we're dealing with the eternal life, the souls of men and women all over the world. And in a sense, God has given us the mission to be lifesavers, to be rescue workers, right? To break down walls that need to be broken down so that the message of Jesus Christ can be spread. Now, some of us could think, who breaks down walls? Firemen, right? Firemen break down doors and windows and walls to rescue people who need to be saved. And they carry around an axe. Well, I didn't bring an axe today. I actually brought one of my tools. This is, this is a mallet. It's actually a, what, a hammer that's on steroids. And this is kind of cool. I mean, this is a man's kind of tool. And, and when I, I bring this up because I want you to, to, to imagine that you are also a mallet, that you're going to be a wall breaker. And that's the, the, the image that God wants you to fulfill. Uh, a friend of mine who was remodeling their house and they said the best part that they, they enjoyed about remodeling the house was taking out mallets and breaking down walls to be able to expand rooms. And that's essentially what we want to try to do. And to, to emphasize this, to imprint this in your memories, I want you all now to say to, out loud, I'm a wall breaker. Go ahead. I'm a wall breaker. And that's essentially the point of my message today is that God calls us all to be wall breakers that we are called to break down walls. Uh, before I continue, why don't I uh, prepare us for, for the message with a word of prayer. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time where you gather us to look into your word, to receive uh, instruction as to how you want us to live, how you want us to reach out and be a blessing to others. As I always pray, I pray that you will open our eyes to see what we must see, I pray that you will open our ears to hear what you want us to hear. Open our minds to know what you want us to know, but most importantly, open our hearts to feel what you want us to feel. So I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Since the beginning of time, humans have decided to live together. And when they began to live in communities, a certain phenomenon began to develop. Groups, the haves and the have-nots. The haves, in their prosperity, in, in their privileges, will always continue to want what they have, and they will always want to prevent other people from having it. And they will, be, they will construct walls, restrictions, even laws to prevent the have-nots to get what the haves have. 
That's something that is universally true, and it's a sad thing, but it is reality. But the funny thing is, God has a heart, in his heart, a place for those who have nothing. The have-nots are special to God. So have you ever been told you could not do something? Like read or write? There's a, a, a video that was going viral on the internet, and I want you to take a look at it because it will prepare us uh, a little bit as to the context of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you can roll that, that, that video. It's an African-American male talking about the terrible plight of our black brothers and sisters in their educational process. Education, then, beyond all other devices of human origin, is a great equalizer of the conditions of men. Horace Mann, 1848. At the time of his remarks, I couldn't read, I couldn't write. Any attempt to do so, punishable by death. For generations, we have known of knowledge's infinite power, yet somehow, we have never questioned the keeper of the keys, the guardians of information. Unfortunately, I've seen more dividing and conquering in this order of operations, a heinous miscalculation of reality. For some, the only difference between a classroom and a plantation is time. How many times must we be made to feel like quotas, like tokens and coined phrases, diversity, inclusion? There are days I feel like one, like only, a lonely blossom in a briar patch of broken promises, but hey, I've always been a thorn in the side of injustice, disruptive, talkative, a distraction with a passion that transcends the confines of my own consciousness beyond your curriculum, beyond your standards. I stand here, a manifestation of love and pain with veins pumping revolution. I am the strange fruit that grew too ripe for the poplar tree. I am a dream act, dream deferred, incarnate, and a movement, an amalgam of memories America would care to forget. My past alone won't allow me to sit still, so my body, like my mind, cannot be contained. As educators, rather than raising your voices over the rustling of our chains, take them off, uncuff us, unencumbered by the lumbering weight of poverty and privilege, policy and ignorance. I was in the seventh grade when Ms. Parker told me, Donovan, we could put all of your excess energy to good use. And she introduced me to the sound of my own voice. She gave me a stage a platform. She told me that our stories are the ladders that make it easier for us to touch the stars. So climb and grab them. Keep climbing. Grab them. Spill your emotions in the Big Dipper and pour out your soul. Light up the world with your luminous allure. To educate requires Galileo-like patience. Today, when I look my students in the eyes, all I see are constellations. If you take the time to connect the dots, you can plot the true shape of their genius shining in their darkest hour. I look each of my students in the eyes and see the same light that aligned Orion's belt in the pyramids of Giza. I see the same twinkle that guided Harriet to freedom. I see them. Beneath their mask in their mischief exists an authentic frustration and enslavement to your standardized assessments. At the core, None of us were meant to be common. We were born to be comets, darting across space and time, leaving our mark as we crash into everything. A crater is a reminder that something amazing happened right here, an indelible impact that shook up the world. Are we not astronomers searching for the next shooting star? I teach 
in hopes of turning content into rocket ships, tribulations into telescopes so a child can see their true potential from right where they stand and injustice is telling them they are stars without acknowledging the night that surrounds them. Injustice is telling them education is the key while you continue to change the locks. Education is no equalizer. Rather, it is the sleep that precedes the American dream. So wake up, wake up, lift your voices until you've patched every hole in a child's broken sky. Wake up, every child, so they know of their celestial potential. I've been the black hole in a classroom for far too long, absorbing everything without allowing my light to escape. But those days are done. I belong among the stars, and so do you. And so do they. Together, together, we can inspire galaxies of greatness for generations to come. So no, no, sky is not the limit. It is only the beginning. Lift off. That's uh, Donovan Livingston, who graduated from Harvard with a master's in education. And he's just kind of through spoken word poetry, explaining just the plight of some of our our people in our, in our culture, in our society. Some of you um, have been also affected by certain walls and barriers in your lives. I'm a third generation Chinese American, my children are fourth generation. When my grand, grandfather came to this country in the late 1800s, uh, he was affected by the Chinese Exclusion Act, which again, uniquely in our history is the only law that was ever passed that restricted a particular ethnic group. And it had major effects for generations uh, after that. So have you ever been told you can do something because of your race, because of your gender? Well, God has a special place in his heart for people like that. Those are the ones that have been marginalized. My daughter, who's actually here, I believe she, she came back to visit from uh, her studies at Yale. She's on a PhD program there studying um, biology. If you actually ask me, I can't even explain what she's doing. It's something to do with bioinformatics or genomics or something like that. But even there, at an institution like that, uh, recently she told us that she won uh, an honorable mention from uh, the National Science Foundation. So it's, there's about uh, 28 to 30 um, graduate students in her program. And out of the 28 or so students, seven of them got honorable mentions. Nobody actually won the award. It's pretty hard to win the award because you actually get cash prizes and funding. And there's about 17,000 applicants from the country applying to the, um, uh, this, this award. And so when the announcement came out, uh, it, it went online. And one of her, her fellow students, who happened to be male, happened to be white, kind of looked at the list of seven students. Three of them are women of color, and, and the other four are white. And he goes, and he begins to say, list the names of the people of color. He says, Yim, Gonzalez, and then there's another Latina name, surname. I wonder if their last names helped. And, and that's kind of a really insensitive kind of remark to say, right? That, that there's supposed to be some sort of special treatment because of your gender or your race and that you're not qualified otherwise. And so one of Christie's good friends, 
who, who's actually uh, East Indian, told this guy, he said, did you actually ever bother to look at their credentials, at their, their credibility, their CVs? And, and this, cause, because this guy was justifying his remark by saying, I know the other four people because one went to Harvard, went, one spent two years in Teach America, and just listing off their, their, their accomplishments. And sadly, this person did not have the willingness to learn to get to know people of color, that they are just as qualified too. But this is a case where even today, we're not talking about the 1800s. We're not talking about the 1900s. We're talking about 2016, that these kinds of, of, of um, attitudes still exist. Barriers and walls are really out there. And we're not all talking about uh, real walls. Even just figurative walls are still being built to separate the haves from the have-nots. Well, likewise, the Samaritan woman in our text for this morning was not being valued for who she was. And according to her community, she had three strikes against her. The three strikes were her race, her gender, and her marital status. And because of how the community thought of her, she was essentially ostracized, shunned. Just a little background. Samaritans were considered half-breeds by the Jewish people. They were a people that, that came about because when the Assyrians came and, and took over uh, the Israelites, there was some intermarriage, and the Samaritans are actually uh, half-Jewish, half-Assyrians. The Jewish people always considered Assyria essentially a mortal enemy of theirs. I mean, because they attacked them, took them into captivity. So in the same ways, they transferred the same kind of hatred for the Assyrians to the Sumerians. Then here, in biblical times, this Samaritan woman, just by the chance of birth, she's a female. And if you know anything about biblical times, women were not really valued much. I mean, they were almost like second-class citizens, maybe even considered property. And with that kind of attitude, um, men in that culture, maybe even other higher-class women, would treat women badly, even allow them to justify abuse and exploitation without blinking an eye. And then the third strike against this woman was that her marital status. The scripture that we heard says that she did not have just one husband, but she had five husbands and actually is now currently living with a man out of wedlock. And so in the community, which is really easy to understand, maybe lifespan there was really short. So maybe they, they, uh, someone passed their husband, her husband passed away and she would have to remarry because to survive a woman alone would be very difficult. So she needed a man to be able to, to support her in that kind of context and culture. But then to do it five times, a little bit hard to believe. So maybe in the mix of new husbands, she probably also had to get divorced. So multiple divorces, multiple husbands, not good luck, bad optics. So the community probably is gossiping that she's a pretty promiscuous kind of woman. So in that context, Jesus 
breaks all conventional thinking and is willing to engage with this woman because Jesus is a wall breaker. He is an ultimate wall breaker. To be a wall breaker like Jesus, we must be like him. And the first thing that I want us practically to note is that we have to walk across the room to be willing to engage with those who may have been separated from us with a wall. And that is the mission that Jesus has given to us. And, and not to care what others think about us when we do that. The scripture clearly says in verse 4 that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to. It was, it's a weird thing because an unusual thing because most Jews, most good Jews, would not go through Samaria. They would just avoid it. They would even go uh, make the travel even further, a longer distance, just to avoid going through Samaria. But the scripture text tells us that Jesus intentionally and proactively had to go into Samaria. And then Jesus, the scripture says in verse 6, that he's tired and he sits at a well. It's actually kind of encouraging to know that Jesus gets tired. Because <laughs> a lot of times we think that, oh man, he's Superman. But here in the text he says he's tired and he's thirsty. So he goes and he sits at a well. And, and bef- as he's sitting there in the hot sun, it says it's the sixth hour. And so how you figure that out is that generally the sun rises at about 6 a.m. And then the sixth hour is the sixth hour after the sun rises. So it is about 12 noon. So generally when it's 12 noon, it's pretty warm. That's when the sun is at its highest and it's pretty, pretty warm out there. So it makes sense that Jesus has traveled quite a far distance and he's thirsty. And, he, and he's, as he's there, and nothing is by chance, there's a lone woman coming to the well to fill her bucket of water. And that's a commonly a very communal thing to do. Generally, women go together in groups to do this because it's a time to, to, to chat, to to get the latest gossip, to talk about each other's children and husbands or whatever. And they usually go in groups. And they usually would go not at the high noon of the day where it's hottest. They would go early in the morning where it's cooler. But this woman is going to the well at 12 noon by herself, which is an odd sight and unusual thing to, to happen. And anybody reading this or knowing it from time, there's something wrong with this picture. And the reason is, is because this woman has been ostracized by her home community. So they won't even include her to go take water. Also, she probably has some personal shame and embarrassment and, and tired of hearing all the gossip that she goes by herself. This is a woman who has been devalued because of her marital status. And as she comes here, she sees Jesus, who purposely, intentionally begins to engage with her. And Jesus went ahead, and he asked her for water. And this is really unconventional. This is really radical. And it's shocking. So even the scripture says that the woman was totally surprised and shocked that that Jesus would actually speak to her. And it goes on various levels. One, remember, I told you that a good Jew, a holy Jew, especially a rabbi Jew, would not engage with a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman. Because they were mortal enemies and also considered unclean. So if a, a good Jew actually spoke with, with a Samaritan person, he would be considered unclean and would have to go through 
a bunch of rituals to, to cleanse himself. So the woman herself is surprised that Jesus would even ask her for, for water. But Jesus does that because he has no fear and anxiety about anyone else criticizing him about that. So Jesus reaches out to this woman who has been ostracized by her, her community. And as wall breakers, we need to make ourselves available to be able to walk across the room to engage with those, especially those who are marginalized, those who have been shamed, those who have been told that they're not good enough, to be able to engage them and be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ, which will be a wall breaker for them. One of my values that the scripture tells us to do is to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. So that is one that I I, uh, honor and try to live out in my life. One of my great things to do is to make myself available to do uh, memorial services. Because, I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I actually like doing funerals because it is the greatest time to come alongside people who are mourning a loss. And they are actually, at that time, most open to the good news of Jesus. Weddings are fun, too, but people are always on it having fun and they're high and they're not in a down in the valley because my understanding of human nature is generally you can reach people more when they're in a down in the valley. So when I do do memorial services and I've done crazy ones but I, I love to do them. Recently probably earlier this year in January one of my friends uh, called me and asked if I was available to, to do a memorial service and I said of course. You know I, I had to juggle my schedule to be able to do it because you know Weddings you can plan, memorial service you can't. People die on their own time, so you've got to make yourself available. And it's one of the hardest things I think pastors have to do is to do memorial service because we have to free up a lot of time. And they take up time to meet with the family, prepare the, 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 the services, etc. But when my friend called, I said, sure. And she was so happy because the context of this, this service was that the family was essentially Buddhist. And only a couple of the siblings were Christian. So the two sisters who wanted to have a, a Christian element in the service asked the mother. Uh, it was a service for her father. The mother, who was a devout Buddhist, at first said no. God worked on her heart in some way. And finally, she relented and said, okay, you can have a Christian pastor, but there will also be Buddhist priests. And so could you imagine that kind of a scenario of, I don't know if you've been to Buddhist uh, memorial services, there's a lot of banging and chanting and yelling and screaming. It's quite a spectacle. And then for me to be able to go in there and, and, and share uh, the good news of Jesus against a hostile kind of crowd. Uh, but God, again, is an amazing, amazing uh, God. And, and so I was willing to do it. I said, Sure. I'll go in there because if Elijah can go against the priest of Baal, I can do this too. So, um, but the, the reason my friend was so excited and happy that I w- would do this is because she asked a whole bunch of other pastors and they wouldn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. They said, if there are Buddhist priests there, I don't want that. And, you know, I kind of shook my head and kind of thinking, what are they afraid of? <laughs> I mean, we have a God who is a God, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Where we go, He will be with us. There is no uh, principality, there is no power on this earth or above that is stronger than Him. And so, 
at a memorial service, so what if there's Buddhist priests there? Because I have a God that is even stronger than him. But God, you know, is faithful. He worked on this mother's heart, and she actually said, you know, maybe we shouldn't have Buddhist priests at the memorial service. We can have them at the wake, but at the memorial service, why don't we just have your Christian pastor friend do it? So that was an amazing opportunity where God continued to work in a, in a situation that could have been kind of crazy. But knocking down walls is what we're supposed to do. And I was able to share the gospel in a way that was uh, respectful. And her mother even came to me and thanked me for my words of comfort and my, my words of counsel from Scripture. So that's, that's what I'm trying to say here, folks, is that we have to make ourselves available to go and do things that sometimes we think is impossible because walls and barriers have been put up to prevent us. But with Jesus on our side, the ultimate wall breaker, we'll be able to do some amazing things to share the gospel. So that's the first thing. We have to be available to walk across the room. The second thing we need to be uh, to learn to do to be wall breakers like Jesus is to build trust and not by condemning. And we see this in verses 16 through 19. If you look at the, the, this passage early in the conversation, it starts about water, right? Jesus asked for water, and so they're talking about water and how it quenches thirst and, and, and then uh, living water that, that quenches your thirst forever. And this woman is interested, and she's kind of not quite clear about all this thing about water, but it's something she wants. And she tells Jesus, I want this. And this is where, in verse 16 to, to um, 19, Jesus takes kind of a little bit of a side note here because he wants to address something that is specific to this woman about her life, and in particular, a sin in her life. But he does it in a way that is not condemning. It's not judgmental. He just speaks truth. It's truth in love. So he just says in a factual way, by asking the question, can you bring your husband back? And the woman answers hesitantly, uh, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says something that she's amazed that he even knows. She says, yes, you speak truthfully. You don't have a husband now. Actually, you're living with a guy. But you've had five husbands. And, and he doesn't say it in a condescending way. He's just saying truth. It doesn't judge her or condemn her. And that's how we can build trust with people. Building trust with people doesn't mean we don't say hard stuff. But you have to have the relationship and their trust to be able to say them. And, and that's a necessary thing because as Christians, we unfortunately have a very bad image in the public. Polls all say that Christians are considered judgmental and biased and hypocritical. That's a wall that's been created against us already. And to be able to break that kind of wall, we have to build trust so that people don't look at us as condemning or judgmental. And sometimes we'll have to do things that people won't understand and also misunderstand us for doing them. Uh, recently, one of the hardest decisions I had to make, which didn't take very long to decide because, again, I, I repeat my 
one of the values they have is to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. A friend of mine who happens to be gay invited Terry and I to his wedding. And, you know, that, that's, that's a hard decision to, to, to come up with, but if I have a value that I will rejoice with those who rejoice, this is time to share in that moment, as the scripture tells me to. And I know either way, I would be misunderstood if I go, I would be misunderstood if I don't go. But if I live the value that I will be alongside someone who I call a friend when they, they are mourning, I'll be there. If they are rejoicing, I'll be there too. But the reason I do that is because I don't want to come across in any way. I don't care what everybody else is thinking. The relationship that I have with people, I want to make sure that I'm building trust with them, that they see that I don't condemn them or judge them. Because Jesus doesn't. Jesus, with Matthew the the tax collector, he went and had dinner at his house with other tax collectors and with prostitutes. People around him saying, why are you doing that? But Jesus had no problem doing that. And I should not have any problems with that. Because if he can do that, I can do that. And the reason I do that is that because then I can continue to have access to people so that I can continue the dialogue. If in any way I put up a, some premise that, that I may be judging them or condemning them, I will lose them. And finally, so those are two practical things. One is being able to be available to walk across the room to engage. The second one is to build trust, which is very important if you're going to share a gospel message that is going to save someone's life or be meaningful to them, but not in a condemning way. The final thing, the final thing I see from this text is that we have to be able to tell the truth that Jesus is the Christ. It's very simple. It's not, nothing complicated. If I boil it down, the f- only thing you need to do, what you're all, we're all responsible for doing, is telling the truth of who Jesus is and simply that he is the Christ. In verse 25 to 26, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Very two verses. Really quick, Jesus essentially says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. And that's our our cue, our tip, to just do the same. At our church retreat, uh, we had a time, a great time up there, and Pastor Nancy Sugakawa uh, taught real easy techniques about how to share the gospel. And then one of the things that we, we asked you to do, and we've done it before, is that if we are called to share the good news of Jesus, of who Jesus is, it would behoove us to, to practice, right? To, to kind of role play. And the easiest way, and I've done it with a lot of groups, and we did it up at a retreat, and I'll repeat it today for this morning, you've got to know your story to be able to share it in two to three minutes. You don't need a, a, a half-hour dissertation about your faith. Nobody wants to hear that. Because if somebody's open to it, it'll pique their interest and they'll ask questions. So all I have to do is about two minutes. And the way you can structure it is tell how you were before you met Jesus. Like, I worried a lot. I had an anger issue. I, I, I envied or whatever. And then tell the moment you met Jesus. 
and then following that, how you are now because of accepting Jesus now as the commander of your life. Very easy. Just three parts. And then in two to three minutes, you'll be able to say that. And it's pretty quick when you have it prepared because there will be moments, opportunities, when someone asks you, why do you go to church? Or, wow, you're a Christian. How's that? Or, how did you come to faith? And a lot of times you'll fumble because you haven't practiced. And if you have something prepared, you'll be able to do it. It's really easy. And it's nothing complicated. All I have to do, as I said, a two-minute little preparation uh, testimony of your story, and it works. I bring this up again, just as a reminder. This is what we're aspiring to, to be mallets, to be wall breakers. This is a powerful tool, and that's what the gospel is. It's a powerful tool. It breaks down walls. And so, leaving to this morning, I want to ask you, who is Jesus asking you to break down walls to? Who is Jesus asking you to, to share the gospel? And just be able to, to pray about it and then have the, the, the uh, openness that when opportunities come, and they will come, because it, if you pray for it, God will provide, and he will actually bring opportunities to do that for you. As a church, I'm <clears throat> really proud that we are able to support ministries and individuals that, that are wall breakers. And, and earlier, Monty was sharing some of the organizations and, and, and ministries that we support through our Kingdom Fund. And I'm, I'm personally proud of one of the organizations that, that, that we are now supporting is uh, Freely in Hope. And I don't know if there's a picture there. Yeah, there's Nicole. Nicole has come and spoken. And she's the founder of Freely and Hope. That's Terry and I with her at a, a fun, one of her fundraisers. And, and, and Nicole is breaking down walls and barriers in Kenya, in, in particular for the injustices placed upon young women, even girls there, by the sexual violence that they, they experience, and also the walls that prevent them from having education. And so Nicole, Nicole through her organization and her work in Kenya, is a wall breaker and be able to share the love of Christ through, through her work there. And, and, and something that just recently happened, I'm just kind of going to announce it here too, is that I've always had a dream that we wouldn't just support organizations and ministries just by writing checks, which is a good thing because funding is important, and we do that through our kingdom fund. But recently, uh, Nicole, to expand her, her ministry and her organization, needed office space. And it's always been a dream of mine that Christian Layman Church isn't just a money giver, is that we would also nest and house other ministries physically in our buildings or in our, in, in our structures. And so Nicole, needing office space, asked if we could give her space. And we did. So she now, as of May, has an office in our El Cerrito, uh, El Cerrito office, our church office. And that's a cool thing. It's moving us now to having a physical footprint of some of these ministries besides just a financial check. And I hope that my dream of this will be fulfilled in many, many other ways, that we can be just a safe harbor for other ministries because God has blessed our people with so much. 
And so to be able to, to support, nurture, grow other ministries who are, become, are wall breakers in this world, that's a good thing. And I think God would be pleased about that. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, maybe it's been five, six years, seven years, that uh, that man over there, Dion, uh, encouraged me to get into Facebook. So Facebook as a social media element is kind of an amazing thing. Uh, if you're following me, I'm on there a lot. Uh, that's what smartphones are for. But Facebook, God has used it as an opportunity for me to be able to reach other people. And I'm amazed at, at what happens. Recently, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago, a, a woman that I knew from kindergarten, and that's a long time ago. So we're talking about 50-something years. She liked a picture that I posted <clears throat> uh, that I tagged some, some of my friends from college, that they were my college roommates. And apparently she was friends with one of the guys. And so when you like a picture, then it pops up on my screen. And then I saw her name, and I said, my goodness, like, could that actually be uh, that the, the girl in, in, in kindergarten? And so I just sent a, a friend request because she liked it. And then she messaged me back and said, are you Calvin that went to Spring Valley Elementary in San Francisco? And then I said, yeah, yeah. And then, and, and then she said, hey, I'm not sure if you're the actual one because there were other Calvins. And then so I quickly looked through my photo album, and I lost, for some reason, my class picture. So I couldn't show the elementary school picture. But I, when you take the school pictures, you get your individual ones. So I just said, okay. I scanned it and sent her a picture of me in kindergarten <laughs> that was taken at the school. It has me in a bow tie and a, and a sweater. <laughs> And then she messaged me back and said, with the, the emoji, with the thumbs up, and she goes, yeah, I remember you. There aren't too many guys I remember, but you with your bow tie and your sweater. <laughs> and so she's, you know, we're catching up, and she says, oh, so what are you doing now? And so when she, people ask me what I do, okay, this, this goes through my mind. I, I, I say either, I, I say I'm a dentist. But then I always have to figure out, okay, do I say I'm a pastor? Because sometimes when you say you're a pastor, it can just shut conversations down or goes another direction. But I just said, okay, I'm, I'm bifurcational. I'm a dentist and I'm, a, I'm a, a pastor. And she goes, wow, how did you choose that vocation? And right there was an opportunity for me. I began to, I just gave my testimony in two minutes that God, I was doing this because I was being faithful to God and made a promise to him to do whatever he called me to when he saved me from suicide in a moment of depression. And, and from that day on, I promised that I would do that. And in two minutes, I shared that with her, and she said, oh, wow, can we talk about that? Can we talk about depression more? And, and in that way, I was able to share the gospel. And, and I even invited her to come, and I hope she's not here yet, <laughs> I just said, to come and visit us. And she said, sure. But that's what Facebook can do. I mean, that's just a simple opportunity, just to see those opportunities and share the good news of Jesus, because people out there need to hear this. And like that Samaritan woman, 
having met Jesus, she gained something that was more important than anything in the world. And I don't want to be delusional here. I don't want to mislead, uh, mislead people that just because you have Jesus in your life, that things are going to change. This Samaritan woman is still a Samaritan. She's still a woman. And she still has a life that has had five husbands. That doesn't change. Society will continue to build walls around her for who she is. She's going to be underappreciated, undervalued. That's not going to change. And, and just because you have Jesus is not permission to say that that's going to change. It may. But most importantly, she has Jesus now to be able to endure that kind of contempt from other people. She is now the most precious thing we could ever have in her life. It's because Jesus does not shun people like that. He will not condemn or judge them. He will never forsake them or abandon them. And that's the God we have. And that's the good news that we need to share with other people. That in the midst of trials, persecution, condemnation, we have Jesus with us. And that's good news, right? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing us to just look into your word and just see the amazing work that Jesus is able to do. And his example is our example. That he came to break down walls that humans, man, puts up against each other. And we are thankful for that because what he did on the cross tore down the veil in the temple so there will be no longer a wall between us and you. We are thankful for the blood of Jesus and the grace of God for we are all sinners and fall short. So may we rejoice in that fact and continue to worship you in the way you deserve. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.